All right, well, we, we're continuing in a series, and uh, the, the idea, the, the, the statement that, I'm, that I've kind of been gravitating towards is Galatians 4.19, where Paul says, it's like I'm in, I'm in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, and that statement, until Christ is formed in you, is one of those statements that just has, for the last four or five months now, has been working on me, has been working in me, and, and this picture that, that he is being formed in me. That is an interesting idea. It challenges the way I look at the activity of God in my life, and, and, as, and it's challenging or changing the way even that, that I read the story of Jesus. As I read the story of Jesus, I see his formation. I see him being, what he goes through, and I think, what? How does that play out in my life? How is, that, how is he being formed in me, and what does that look like as I read this story? And so as he becomes greater and I become less, as I die to myself and he comes to life in me, the story of Jesus has another layer for me that has been very um, fruitful in my life. And so last week we looked at the story of Jesus healing the leper found in Luke chapter 5. And, you know, the, the things that, this the highlights. If you weren't here last week, um, unfortunately our recording recorded no sound. So uh, we're not going to put that on the web for you to watch because nobody wants to look at me that long, right? So, um, I mean, besides Sabrina. But uh, <laughs> if she could only have that much silence in my presence. But anyway... Um, <laughs> That is not in my notes. I don't know where they are. So anyways, Jesus heals the leper, right? And, and what we see in the story is, is that, that um, he was not where he should be. The leper was. He did not belong there. In fact, if you would look at Jewish culture, if you look even in, the chap- in Leviticus, there's two chapters on it, on how a leper should how a leper is determined and what a leper should do. And if a leper is healed, what happens? And so what I found interesting was is there's not no stories of lepers being healed. And yet Jesus, I mean, excuse me, yet God has given us two chapters in the Old Testament about leprosy and what to do if a leopard is, leper, not a leopard, sorry, I said leopard there. What a leopard, <laughs> leper should, would do to enter back into community. If you had leprosy, you were pretty much pushed out of community from, with everybody. And as you went around, you had to have your hair messed up, your clothes torn, and you had to cover your face, your lower part of your face, and you were supposed to call out unclean as you walked through populated areas. What a great life, right? And here he is, here's this leper, and he is approaching Jesus. He should not have been there. And yet he still went. And two things that I see in that. First of all is, is the fact that he went. That took some bravery. And the idea is, and for us, that I see, what, 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 I was, what was spoke to me is this. When we recognize our condition, and we recognize who God, who Jesus is, we recognize that it, it is not an easy thing to approach God. It will take a step of faith. It will take some courage on our, ha- on our behalf. Not to pat ourselves on the back that we take, you know, that we have that much courage, but maybe that we should recognize that we don't just 
take this for granted, that we don't take this lightly. We can boldly approach his throne, but we should recognize that we don't belong there. And the only reason we're able to do it is because of what Je- even the picture we're given and what Jesus does here, that he reaches down and he touches the leper. He reaches to the lowest of the low. In, the, in those days, the, a leper was the lowest of the low. If he can reach that far and recognize that he can reach to wherever you are. As he's formed in, in us, he also wants to reach through us. Because if we see what Jesus did, what we see is, is he reached out to the lowest of the low. As he's formed in you, he's formed in me, you know what we're going to be doing, right? We're going to be reaching down. We're going to be reaching out. So today we continue in the story, and and I was all set to move on to the next story. The next story is the guy with friends that tear apart a roof and lower the guy down. So that's what we're going to cover in a couple weeks. But, But I was all ready to move on to that story, and I just couldn't get past this last statement of the story we read last week. I tried to. I, fought, I kind of fought it a little bit, to be honest with you. So I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to be one of those guys that just says the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes I think I do. Actually, Sunday afternoon, I feel like I go home and I think, man, did I just say that last week and the week before that and the week before that? I feel like I'm repeating myself sometimes. But I don't want to be that repetitive. Although, as I'm reading through the story of Jesus, I'm, I'm stuck. Because I really felt like I I'm not supposed to move past this statement. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. So Jesus has just healed the leper. He says, please, no, he actually just says, don't go tell anybody about this. Show yourself to the priest as a testimony to him, okay? So he sends the leper off to see the priest. And Luke tells us, yet. That yet, what I think means is, even though that leper, that leper did not say anything to anybody, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's a simple statement. It's a simple phrase. In fact, so much so, we could just go, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus probably needed to recharge, Right? I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but, okay, I'm an extrovert, okay? I don't know if you knew that or not about me, but I get energy from groups of people. So the smaller the crowd, the quieter I get, I think. I mean, when I'm comfortable, right? Um, I went on vacation one time by myself, and I came back more tired than when I left. I didn't do anything, I was, but I was by myself, it's like it just sucked the energy out of me. So people charge me up. So by second service, you guys, you don't even know this, right? But by second service, I'm wired because I've been around people for a couple hours now, right? So um, anyway, uh, but I think even at that, we read this little piece of the story and what we see is, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus, the crowd was pressing in on him. The crowd was, was, was wanting, them to, wanting Jesus to heal them, and I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure it was exhausting him. 
And what I realized as I spent some time on this passage is, is I've just projected myself onto Jesus. That I've actually interpreted Jesus' behavior based on what I need or the way I function in my fallenness. Did you hear that? Sometimes I look at Jesus and I think, uh, well, he, you know, he had the same issue maybe that I had because, because he's human. Except for he wasn't fallen. I think maybe we've, what we've done is we've, we've, we've made it too small. We've made Jesus too small. See, we say, well, look, he pulled away from the crowd. Well, sure, he probably needed to recharge, right? In fact, after the first service, after my sermon, I had somebody come up and say, yeah, but I, I still think he needed to recharge. <laughs> okay, that's fine. What you're saying is you ignored my sermon, but that's okay. But... Um, <laughs> But from time to time, when I get to a place like this, I go to other translations and I, and I compare them. Uh, I, I go, well, what did this word mean and everything else, especially a simple phrase like this. And, and sometimes that even muddies the water. And then I have to go to the Greek. And the Greek is not easy because, quite honestly, it's all Greek to me. Okay? And I know that's a, that's a bad one. I shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry, I cracked myself up. Um, so it's work to do that. It's work to get the Greek because the sentence structure is different. Anytime, if you've ever translated something from another language, tense are different. And so it takes a little more energy to do that. This passage, I decided I, I need to spend a little more time on. And so as I studied it, there's a couple things that caught me, my attention. Just, we're just going to cover two, all right? The first thing that caught my attention is that word but. All right? But I have read this statement wrong, I believe. That but is a strange, has a strange place. Now, the word but occurs, when it occurs, it, 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 it always contrasts what precedes it with what follows it, okay? So when we see the word but, we need to look at what's before it, and we need to look at what's after it. So what's before it? The description of a very busy Jesus. Did you hear that? The crowd kept growing and they were listening to him and, and wanting to be healed. What follows it? Jesus found solitary moments. What follows it? That despite the fact that he was very busy, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Despite the fact that he was very busy, he withdrew, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. I don't know if you're like me, but to be honest with you, when I get busy, there are just some things that I set aside. Now, as your pastor, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but there are times when I have a really busy day ahead I hit the ground running. And I don't read my Bible. I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, but the average pastor prays 20 minutes a day. Hmm. 
course, 95% of all statistics are made up on the spot, but, um, (laughs) or was it 96? Anyway, uh, when I get busy, I tend to set aside some things. Listen, if, 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 let's just say you had a really busy day ahead of you and, and you had to get up and be at a meeting at a certain time and you, and for some reason your alarm didn't go off and you woke up late, what would have to give? Just, I'm going to give you some choices, all right? So would you, would you rather, would you rather skip your, brushing your teeth or skip brushing your hair? I mean, if you were running late and you had to get out of the house, would you rather skip brushing your teeth or skip brushing your hair? Now let's go ahead and who would, re- no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that, okay? All right. Who would, who would skip finding clean clothes or skip ironing? Some of us would be like, no, I got to get clean clothes. Others of us would be like, I'm not going out of the house with wrinkles. Okay, I was a bachelor way too long. I, I have no problem with wrinkles, okay? All right, how about this one? So you're really late, you run out, and you just got to get going. Would you skip breakfast or skip showering? Some of you are like, well, I don't want to choose between any of those, right? Right, because both are important. Some of us are, are, I'm a breakfast eater, so I'm like, man, I, I don't think I'd want to skip breakfast. How often... Do we decide that devotions are the thing to skip? We have a tendency that when things are going smooth, we stop leaning on Jesus. We stop needing him. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in your life. But when things are going really well, a lot of times in my life, I'm like, I got this, God. You got me out of a pinch. Thanks a lot. Now we, I'll get back in the driver's seat and, and I'll, I'll, I'll wake you up the next time I need something. Jesus' schedule was full. There were great demands being placed on him. And yet we go, well, so he just needed a little me time maybe. Listen, I want us to have a right picture of Jesus. He doesn't get sick of people like we do. You ever realize that? I mean, I, honestly, I've, there have been times where I've read, you know, the story of Jesus, and I've looked at his, you know, people just seem like they kind of pressed on him, pressed in on him, and it's like, and I would have been like, give me some space just for a moment, right? But he's, he's God. He doesn't get sick of his creation. Does that fit into your picture? He looked at the crowd and he had compassion and love. He wanted to care for all who came to him. Did you hear that? What else, though? They wanted to listen to him. Do you know how amazing that is? I mean, as a public speaker, to think people want to listen to you, that is not draining. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the picture of Jesus we need to have. I think it is entirely possible that the crowd 
didn't drain him like it would drain us. That what he was doing was fulfilling his calling. It was fulfilling his purpose. And as he did that, we're not told that, that he was tired of the crowd. He was, that he was, that he was tired of people coming around. Like, we're not told that they drove him crazy. In fact, I can't think of a time when Jesus said, would you just leave me alone? Now, I've thought, I can think of a few times where I've said those words, okay? Would you just leave me alone? I would think maybe there were a few times that he wanted to say that to the Pharisees, but I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. I don't see him ever saying, crowd, I am so tired of you following me. Just give me some space. What the disciples say? When the crowd is gathered, they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's 5,000 people in the crowd, and the disciples say, tell them to leave and go get something to eat, right? And Jesus says, no, let's feed them. Is it possible that what we've done is projected our personality onto Jesus? And, rather, and so then when we read this statement, we miss the butt altogether. It's our perspective that makes us read into this statement that Jesus wanted his privacy. Now, you, you get a, a little Darren statement, okay? This is a Darren quote. It's in your notes. Jesus was rocking it. And even though it was going great, he still took time for solitude. It wasn't so he could just kind of breathe. There was something else happening here. There was something else going on when he would often go to, as the NIV would say, a lonely place. Now, from time to time, like I said, I pull up tr other translations. And I pulled up other translations in here, and I got a, a variety of different statements. This statement, that he would go to a lonely place, that's the NIV's version. The King James version is he would go to the wilderness. Uh, the New American Standard, also wilderness. Others say a solitary place, a deserted place. So then I went to the Greek. The word for lonely place is wilderness. And if we will look at the use of that word wilderness for just a moment, we find that same word used a chapter earlier. This, I, don't, I hope that you guys can capture this. This is kind of significant. We can read back in chapter four. We kind of covered this a few months ago. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Oh, that's good, right? That fits into this. Where for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Wilderness. While in the wilderness, Jesus went to a high place. The devil led him to a high place, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, if you just bow down to me, you can, you can rule all of these places. 
So somewhere in the desert, in this wilderness that he was in, they, there was a high place, I guess, but then this is where it gets complicated. Then, G, then Jesus is led to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, where, he ta- where, the, where the devil takes him to the, the highest point of the temple, and he says, hey, you know, the Bible says, Scripture says that, that, that uh, oh, in fact, I've even got the words here somewhere. No, they're not here right now. <laughs> that you just throw yourself down here, and, and uh, that, that God's angels will not let any harm come to you. So he's in the wilderness, and he's in Jerusalem. Here's what I believe we should understand. The wilderness isn't about a specific geographical location. The wilderness is about what was going on, what was taking place there. A lonely place, a solitary place. Not a specific location, but a situation that brings up the elements of the event. He went to the wilderness to be tempted. The wilderness is a milestone in Jesus' life. If we, believe, if, we, if we believe what Luke tells us, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, then we can see that, that the temptation in the wilderness was a formational piece in Jesus' life. That before he started his public ministry, he was solidified. He was, he was tempted to solidify what was coming ahead. So let's review just real quick. I went back a couple months ago. We, we, I preached on the, the uh, temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. And, and so I thought it'd be interesting. I just, wanna, I, I just took some excerpts from my sermons, Okay. And I'll try to make it quick. The first one is this. Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread. We look at that as there was a story back to the Israelites because Jesus' response to Satan, he responded with Scripture. Man should not live by bread alone. But that statement is found back in the story of the Exodus. The bread and and Jesus' response was a call back to that Israelite wilderness where they were needing food. They had just left Egypt, and God had, had, uh, they had gotten to a place where they needed water. They were at bitter springs, and God cleared up the springs, and they were able to drink. A couple of days later, just not shortly thereafter, they were out of food, and they basically said, you brought us out here to die. We would have been better off in Egypt. It was a point where they had to decide, are we going to figure out how to provide for ourselves, or are we going to wait on God? There was a moment for them where they were going to decide would they depend on God or would they try to figure it out on their own? How many times do we get caught up in this test? That was his first temptation. Let's pause for a minute. So Jesus is Jesus is in the midst of ministry and things are going well and he, and he pulls away to the wilderness where he had a victory. We can't, look at the t- we can't look at his wilderness time, those 40 days, as the place that he has tempted. We need to look at those as the place where he was victorious because he resisted the temptation. So as he's in ministry, he pulls away to that place where he made the decision that he would wait on God. 
The second temptation that he faced was is he was tempted to bow down in order to gain a throne. So Satan took him to a high place, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these, all these kingdoms. Satan was offering an easy, what seemed like an easy way to a very similar destination. If he waits on God, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he will, and he does, sit on the throne. But he also had to be crucified to get there. What Satan was offering was a much easier way. And it had a similar result. And it bypassed a whole bunch of other things. Guys, this is what I think. Okay? I think there are times that God has a plan for me, and the road looks difficult. And I decide instead to kind of take a shortcut. And never have I experienced that I end up in the location he was intending me to be. As we watch the formation of Jesus, we see there is a solidifying of the path that he's going to take and the purpose for it that he becomes resolved to, this is the way I'm going because that's where I need to be. His purpose was to bring salvation, healing, and help to all mankind down a path of suffering. Jesus chose to keep God at his, as his object of worship rather than the path or the purpose. Jesus' path was rough ahead. Jesus' purpose was complex. The temptation was to take an easier path to a similar purpose. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Um, I, I, there's been times where I've wondered, how did Jesus... Stay in the present moment. Oh, does that make sense? He knew he was going to be crucified. For three years, that was on his horizon. Man, I put stuff on my calendar a week ahead of time, and I dread it all week long, and I get distracted by it. How did he do it? Well, Often, he would pull away and go to the wilderness, the place where he was victorious, the place where he had victory. His purpose, with the kind of power and influence that Jesus was gaining, in these moments, did you hear what the words were? The crowd was, and yet, all the more, the crowds, the, the news about him spread, and crowds began to gather. The crowds grew. Is it possible that there was a bit of a temptation there 
to pick a worldly purpose. The third temptation Jesus faced in the wilderness was this. He was tempted to, to force God to act. Take him to a high place in the temple, throw yourself down, the angels, his angels will save you, and he, he decides, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. God has a promise. I don't have to test it. Throw yourself down and, and God's angels will save you. I don't need to test that promise. Jesus chose to trust rather than to test. I don't have to jump to trust God. I don't have to jump to trust that he's going to keep his promise. As Jesus went through his ministry, as he faced every even greater demands, as he gained more fame, as I think about that, I recognize what I would do. I would have needed reminders to stay the course and trust God's plan. Think of Jesus' power for a moment. I mean, his, in his ministry, what do we know? Okay, well, I mean, he healed the leper, right? He healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he had great healing power. Just for a moment, if he was a general in an army and he attacked somebody, um, oh yeah, by the way, he can raise the dead as well, right? Hey, we're going to go attack these people. Some of us are going to die. It's okay, I'll raise you up at the end. Okay, we'll be good. We'll be good. And then we'll go on to the next battle. Think of the power that he actually had. He could calm the storms. He could tell a tree to be cursed and it would wither. Man, I can't even hardly grow grass. He could feed thousands of people. And when he spoke... All people said was, I've never heard anybody speak with that kind of authority. Now contrast that with the great world leaders that we've seen, or maybe we've read about. Winston Churchill was known to have a great speaking manner, and his country followed. FDR, great leader. Hitler, I know that's a terrible illustration, isn't it? You realize, have you ever thought what, it, what Germany did because they listened to that guy? And he couldn't raise anybody from the dead. He couldn't feed thousands of people. Jesus had all of this what kind of world leader could he have been? Do you ever think that it's possible that that temptation kept coming back around? What did the story tell us in Luke 4? That Satan left him for a more opportune time. Here he is. The crowd is gathering. It would be very easy to see and even take it a step or two. Jesus never did that. That crowd that kept gathering and growing 
eventually would either desert him or shout crucify because he never took that next step. Because he never went to that place of becoming that worldly leader. He trusted God's promise. He trusted that God knew best, that God knew what he was doing, and that this path was going to have the greatest success. How often would you need to reconnect in your life with that promise? It would be tempting to force God to prove that he knew what he was doing. Do you ever desire God to prove his promise to you? I do. There are moments where that Jeremiah passage, 2911, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There are times it doesn't feel like that's the idea. Do we demand him to prove that promise or are we going to trust it? As the crowds gathered, the temptation would have been easily felt. Returning to the wilderness kept Jesus close to the victory where God could continue to form him. So as Christ is formed in you, let's transition. That's, the, that's the, kind of the story behind the, 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 the passage. But now let's put the lens on of as, as he's formed in me. What does that look like? What does that mean in my life? So here's the deal. When I find solitude, I usually find my mind wandering. So Trevor got up here this morning and... Um, um, he said, if you want to come to the altar, you can, right? And there was this moment in my, in my heart that, was, that God was like, I want you to go to the altar. You know what? There was this little voice inside then that came that said, well, what will people think? Yeah, because, right? Because you would really hate to have a pastor that went to the altar, wouldn't you? But somewhere in there, there's this idea of, I, I don't want other people to think I got problems. Does anyone have that? Yeah. Does anyone have that voice in your head? Oh, a couple of you. Okay, just the rest of you, you're afraid to raise your hand, right? Okay. Um, when I get solitude, sometimes that other stuff gets really loud. Sometimes, to be honest with you, sometimes it's just easier to stay busy. There are times when God wants to work in my life and I work at being busy. And quite honestly, people in the church will be like, oh, you just get so much done. And then pretty soon I'm like, yeah. I didn't have any time with God, but I did a lot. 
If I pay close enough attention, I find that when I get quiet, that's usually when my temptations come up to the surface. I don't realize it's temptation, but, but when I look back, it is. I mean, I can recognize it now. After a week of spending time thinking about this passage, I can see it. When I have that, that moment of solitude, those moments of solitude, oftentimes the things that, that need attention, that need victory, are the things that I'm wrestling with. Think about my fears. When it gets quiet, I think about the things I'm afraid of. Most of the time it has to do with things that I need to get done, what other people think, and and about those that I love. When I quiet down, and take a step out of my busyness, my desires show up. I begin to think, oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. Pretty soon I'm thinking about snowmobiles because it's winter, okay? Facebook Marketplace, there's got to be a good deal in there somewhere because I quieted down. But if I just keep busy, then it's not on my radar, right? If I can just keep busy, then I don't have to face my temptations. But if I get quiet, why would I want to face that? When I when I calm, when I quiet down, sometimes the real frustrations in my life surface. This person really irritates me. That situation really frustrates me. I begin to equate solitude with something I want to avoid because I want to avoid all that stuff. Is it possible? Instead, we need that solitude because we need to address that stuff in our lives because Jesus wants to talk to us about that that stuff in our life. random thoughts sometimes are really difficult to get through when I find solitude. In my solitude, I will often discover how scattered my my thoughts are. It's work to organize them. Am I the only one? Okay, good. There's a few shaking your head, no, that's good. Okay. It's challenging to realize what I'm thinking. If I don't ever quiet down, I don't think about what I'm thinking about. And I know that Satan plays a part in this. I think, he, I think they're, they're, he plays a part in shuffling up my thoughts. As I'm trying to organize them, he's mixing them all up. I don't know how that all works, okay? But from time to time even... It feels like those quiet moments are disrupted by my desires as if I were 
I don't know if this helps. I'm a, in my head, I got this picture. It's almost like, like the devil grabs a hold of me and is dragging me out of the door. pulling me away from that potential moment for intimacy with Jesus. In those moments, I need to cry out, Jesus, help me. Listen, if you need to write something down in your notes, write that statement down so you remember it. As you approach solitude, as you get away and your mind is everywhere and you're struggling to have your thoughts straightened out, maybe you just need to say those simple words, Jesus, help me. When I don't, I usually find my solitude is cut short, unsatisfying, and I don't find any strength there. This week, Jesus reminded me, when I call out for help, I recognized that I was being dragged away because I got my eyes off of Jesus. Those are those moments where I go, oh, I was looking at something other than him. And when my eyes are off of him, I'm a mess. Our temptations can be defeated. Jesus proved it in the wilderness, and he returned to the wilderness as he was in midst of ministry. He returned back to where he was victorious. He returned back to where he stood his ground. as he's formed in me. There are times that Jesus, it feels like Jesus withdraws from me. Withdraws to a solitary place. And it feels like, feels like he's gone. Feels like it's just, he's silent. What if we just pictured this instead? As he's doing ministry in my life, there are moments that he withdraws to solitude but he invites me to join him. It's a place where we're welcome. It's a place where our questions aren't answered, where our wants aren't the issue. It's a place where we face who we really are when no one is around, when there are no masks, where Jesus gets to meet with the real me. Jesus returned to the wilderness because this is the place of real formation. He calls us there because this is the place where he does his best work.
there's some statistics out there that roughly say that the average person can handle about 20 seconds of silence. Beyond that, we get uncomfortable. Do you, do you think maybe, possibly, we should recognize that maybe that's something we need? Even when things are going well, we need to get away and be with God. Henry Nowen writes this. I'm in this, this group of pastors. We read a book once a month, and um, each month we read a book, and we get together at the, at the end of the month, and, and, we, and we kind of talk about what we read and, and uh, have conversation and, and talk about like, what impacted us. And, and our last book was a book by Henry Nowen, and it's called The Way of the Heart. And he says this statement in there. It says this, Solitude is the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. It's the place of purification and transformation, the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. Solitude is not simply a means to an end. Solitude is its own end. It is the place where Christ remodels us in his own image and frees us from the victimizing compulsions of the world. I hope that statement frees us from the victimizing compulsions of this world. I hope that sinks in. Jesus slipped away into the wilderness by himself where, where they weren't moments for himself, where he wasn't bothered by others. These were not moments where he could think his own thoughts These were not moments where he could express his complaints and and do his own thing. This isn't about his own privacy. I look at Jesus finding the wilderness often because that is where he kept on track. This is where he found strength and stayed connected to the heart of of his father. where he was reminded of the lessons he learned earlier, where he was able to recognize, oh, I'm noticing that there's a temptation here. I need to address it now. This is where his greatest formation took place. So let me ask you. Do you believe Jesus needed those moments? Uh, let's have some crowd participation. Raise your hand if you think Jesus needed those moments. Okay? Okay. All right. Is there anybody that thinks he didn't need those moments? Okay. All right. A couple. I think he needed them. That's why he did it. So let me ask you this next question. Do you think you need them? If you are not, if you aren't doing them, 
you don't believe you need them. Okay? You don't get to say, oh yeah, I know I need those moments. I know I need them, I'm just not doing it. No, then you actually don't think you need them. Stop lying to yourself. You think you don't need them. Good luck. Okay? Yet, but, Jesus often would go to the wilderness and pray. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray that pray you'd help us to see the need. Help us to see how we function when we keep when when we live with no margins in life. Help us to see what happens when we do pull away, and then help us to see that in the midst of that we need to continually cry out to you so we can experience the the victory that you had in the wilderness so that we can constantly be re-brought back in focus with you. I pray that we would be a church that is not uncomfortable with solitude. That we'd be able to recognize the temptation in our hearts. And we would still keep our eyes on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.